Welcome to BeerNet Radio. Listen to on every continent except Antarctica. B Beer. 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 Net Radio. Hello, Jordan. Harry, how's it going, man? How are you? Doing pretty good. Hey, it, uh, it looks like uh, you might have gotten a trim too, like I did. I did, man. I needed Looking it. Looking good, Billy Ray. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Let's see. I, uh, uh, let's see your new do. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Got, got. Remember, this was down to like here. Yeah, you had the flow. Yeah, we call that an old man mullet. Some people do. I don't. As you can see, my uh, co-host Biscuit is being is not here today. Uh, she is sick. When I say sick, I I mean she's hungover. And when I say hungover, I mean I left an unattended Baconator cheeseburger on my coffee table last night, which she I went to the restroom, number one, not number two, okay? So I was gone for 15 seconds maybe, and I came back and my dinner was gone. The Baconator cheeseburger, the French fries, I'm surprised she didn't get into the Frosty. Yes, it was Wendy's. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. It's Wendy's. And... uh you know, Wendy's low key is making a comeback. But anyway, earlier in the day, I had a uh, prime rib from Jay Alexander's that was in my fridge for about a week. I'd say six days, six or seven days. You know, and I could, I could probably, I could, probably could have eaten it on a sandwich in a microwave. You know, probably would have been fine. But I was like, you know, five days before the summit, maybe I'll just go ahead and give it to the dog. So she had already had a, like a 12 ounce prime rib and then she ate a full Wendy's Baconator cheeseburger within about 45 minutes. So of course I let her outside thinking she's just going to vomit and throw up and poop all over the place, but she didn't, but she groaned all night and she was lethargic and hung over this morning. So I just went ahead and took her to the vet. She needed a bath anyway. Anyway, that's my humorous anecdote of the day. What do you eat if biscuits eating all your food? Okay, so you would you would think that I would just I could probably stand to miss a meal, right? <laughs> Looking at me, and but no, I got back on Uber Eats ah. and ordered another meal. The fat pig that I am, and uh, <laughs> I did not get the same meal because I was embarrassed that I would get the same driver. And he's like, "How much Wendy's can you eat in a night? What the hell's wrong with you?" So I got uh, Chipotle. I mean, just a lot, a lot of health and wellness going on over here at the BeerNet Radio headquarters. Yeah. Um, you know, Jen, you're supposed to put the neons up and prepare before we start the podcast, not not during the podcast. For those at home who are just listening, Jen is setting up her Jen's Jams neon that I got her for Christmas. Okay, and now she's acting like she's a Price Is Right model. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me just go set this up. Let me just, let me just. Okay. We have time. No worries. We're just recording. (laughs) You know, I'll cut this in post. Like I do. Uh I don't even cut in post saying I'm going to cut post. I know what cut in post means. I've been around enough to know. (laughs) Are you okay? No. What do you, why would you ask me that? I'm never okay. 
Why would I be okay today? Did you get your uh did you get your ring light yet? No, did you send me one? I did, but uh, there's supply chain issues from China, I think. You are lying. You haven't No, seen- I did. I got you the nicest one they had on Amazon at the in the cheap section. <laughs> Is it gonna come from Gua- Guanazao province? Um actually, yeah, probably. Guanazao. If that's where they're making LED lighting, yes. I'm sure the analysts are like, this dumbass doesn't know how to say this giant province in China. (laughs) I want you to know that I know that you know that I'm dumb, guys. As long as you know they know, and they know you know they know. Exactly. All right, here we go. But I think it is Guangdong. (laughs) I'm sure we're just butchering it. It's not working. Oh, there it is. Okay, now hit the button again to dim it. It actually looks better in the uh, glass table that's sitting on the reflection does. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's kind of badass. Yeah. Sponsored by Gilad Cabernet. (laughs) So, Jen, uh, what are your jams? (laughs) Tell us this week's Jen's jams. Oh, man. What are Jen's jams this week? You know what's funny? Well, do you mean like songs or do you mean like topics? No, I meant like topics. Yeah. You can do songs. Well, I re- we rewatched The Matrix and there's like all these chemical brothers in there that I remember. I remember being like, oh man, that was so cutting edge. And now it's like old. Chemical brothers yeah. are now like the old piece. Which Have is- you seen uh, oh, Spider-Man? <laughs> no. Talk about some, re- everybody's, you know, I saw Scream and I've seen Spider-Man in the theaters. And both of them were so meta, self-referencing, self-referential. I mean, they had they brought back the old actors and made the. I don't want to yeah. spoil anything, but it's a pretty. Uh, both movies bring back old actors. There's the spoiler that they were all, in the previous versions. That's it's funny. a miracle. It's a miracle of modern science, and <laughs> and people needing paychecks. It's a miracle of modern Botox for men too. <laughs> Yeah, nobody looks like they've aged. They all look pretty good. Yeah. Well, juice. Speaking of Botox, let's talk Speaking about of... juice. <laughs> Simply juice. I drink that Simply Lemonade, or I used to, until I found out how much sugar's in it. And so I would, I'm wondering if they're going to go the, you know, the kind of the twisted tea, full sugar flavor route and not care, or go like the hard Mountain Dew route which is going to have zero sugar, even though it's a high calorie beverage. What do you guys think? I think they'll leverage the equity of juice. And I think it'll be, if not full cow, higher cow, right. Then, then like the super low cal stuff. I think so. Cause they don't, they don't play in that space. Right. You talk about simply. No, well, well most in course, simply. Oh, I guess we should explain that. So most in course is bringing to market. And by the time this runs, the embargo will be up the, um, a hard version of Coca-Cola is simply uh, juice products, starting with lemonade, right? A lemonade variety pack. And that's all we know at this point. Um, it'll come in slim cans. It'll launch in the summer. But I mean, I haven't seen it, but I was telling Bill, like, if I have a can of simply lemonade on the table and my kids see it, they're going to grab it. Like, yeah. how do you get around this? How do you skate around that? But I guess that's the world we're living in now. So, Well, I mean, uh I know Millicent is an avid Topo Chico drinker, soft Topo yeah. drinker, and she has accidentally actually opened and taken a sip of a hard Topo Chico. So I, I think it's uh, 
especially in the bottles yeah oh yeah the ones yeah. that are in the bottles look pretty similar it i mean simply lemonade's always in that plastic with like the green yeah. or pink top so it'll look a lot different i think but it's gonna be a full flavor i i have to i have mm-hmm. to believe simply it does have stevia sweetener so it, it's not like is full sugar i guess is some other ready to serve lemonades that are out there um it still has 130 calories per eight ounce serving so if you ramp that up to a 12 ounce it's like two, you know well there's a simply light too yeah oh really yeah there's a simply light there's all sorts of simply juices there's a simply orange of course that's the one i drink um it's kind of surprising well not so i mean I'm surprised they're going with the lemonade version first in some ways because it's kind of overplayed. I mean, I would get it. If it were me, I would have done the orange first. I would have done like an orange crush, right? That's some yeah. white space actually. But no, we don't want to go for the white space. Let's leave well, that alone. Or do like a mimosa you know have, or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, prob- when you have, I think, those two giant corporations and the people making decisions, let's take the safest route on yeah, something so course. new. Of and course. lemonade would be the safest route. And right. Then, yeah. uh, but I, I agree. Orange would be definitely something very different than anything that's out there. That's what I plan to ask MSJ today. And then at the summit is, you know, how does, how does this work? Do they have their eyes on simply, or does Coke just say, here's yeah. five brands that we're willing to experiment with Fresca, Topo Chico, simply. And under that, then y'all can play with <laughs> this part of it. Like, how much say does Molson Coors actually have? Or it's a great point and a great question. I mean, well, I guess Pepsi owns what Tropicana. Are we going to see a Tropicana hard juice next? I mean, when does it end? Probably. It's crazy. And you, I'm also curious about, you know, how long they've been thinking about simply because it was right after Constellation announced their partnership with Fresca that Molson Coors came out and said, actually, we have something else. Yeah. And it works with Coke too. So, so. You th- you're you're saying there might be a scenario where they saw the constellation and they went to their Coke counterparts and said, "WTF? <laughs> give us something. Give me What's, something. What else, about man. us? <laughs> you know, what? Fine, we're going to come out with a Zoa that's called Simply Zoa. How about that? <laughs> Cash me outside, Coke. We can play this game. These are all imaginary conversations, by the way. Just want to make that clear. Right. Our, yeah. We are not to our dimmer this. listeners who maybe don't get the joke. Anytime Harry in something with Cash Me Outside, it's usually an imaginary it's conversation. Usually, yeah, yeah. All right, talk closer in your mic, Jordan. We can't if it's even on. Jordan doesn't plug his in half the time because it's it's the same port he uses to charge the computer. We need to get him bag of dongles for Christmas. All right, bag of dongles. I, uh, somebody's at the door. Let's admit him. It's Brendan. Brendan, Brendan Waters. How are you? My name is Harry Shoemaker. Welcome to BeerNet Radio, and uh, we have here Jen Litz-Kirk and Jordan Driggers, who are editors of Beer Business Daily. Uh, we have Brendan Waters from uh, Cooks and Convicts. Cook, what am I trying to say? Kings and Convicts. You were close. <sighs> that wasn't even close. Thank you, Brendan, for trying to cover. That was not, and I'm not going to edit it because we are real here at Beer Business Daily. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited because I know a lot of people's like, who are these Kings and Congress that came out of virtual nowhere and bought ballast point uh, for pennies on the dollar for, for maybe our listeners who don't know who you guys are, where you come from. You're, I, I guess you're. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I come from Australia and, uh, have been over here in the U S 
actually I've been outside of Australia since 95. So I've been, I was traveling around the world uh, with my wife or then girlfriend and came through the US and I sort of went, shit, I like this place. This is pretty good. And then threw my name in the hat and ended up winning a green card in the lottery. And so went back to Australia, came on over here. Um, I worked for a company called Accenture, uh, which is a big American company. It used to be Anderson Consulting. And so started yeah, working there. And then um, long story short, I jumped into the hotel world in 9-11, 2001, lived in Europe, uh, came back to the US and then started my own hotel company with, um, uh, with, with one of my friends who is on the board uh, of directors of, of Ballast now. And just started, started with one hotel and built it up uh, and then ended up selling it to a public company. And so that was in around about 2014. And so I, that was a hotel franchise company that I sold to Redline Hotels. And, uh, and so after that happened, I told my wife that we're going to start brewing beer again because I brewed when I was back in college in Australia in the kitchen with four other buddies. And so our kitchen was a brewery. Now, this was all extract brewing based on the old Cooper's stuff. So it wasn't all grain, but I said, I'm going to do that again. And she said, well, you're not doing that in the house again. So get the hell out. So I went and found a place um, with, with another buddy of mine who was the king of kings and convicts. He's the Englishman. I'm the Australian. I'm the convict. And so we started uh, brewing um, and you know, jumping into, into to beer back in 2015, 2016. And so he went to Siebel, uh, Siebel Institute in Chicago, he ended up becoming the brewer. He's, he's got a, uh, a background in chemistry and biochemistry. And so he jumped into that. And, um, and then, you know, the rest is pretty much bloody history, uh, falling into the things and then uh, seeing some opportunities and jumping on them. Right. With the, with the latest being uh, buying the St. Archer uh, facility from Molson Coors. And Correct. so, um, so when you started, let, let's just, you know, you started, you know, brewing and, and you had a, you had a small, a, kind of a small operation. Then you buy Ballast Point from Constellation. So now you're, you've got this kind of a, a big operation. H how did you, uh, were there transferable skills from being in the hotel business to, to, to get into that so quickly? I think, so I'll say that there's the, the skills to, you know, I, I've worked for myself and done things from an entrepreneurial perspective. There's two or three, there's one, three companies before we started um, Kings and Convicts. And so I'd done stuff uh, like startup companies from, um, and so you got to look after everything. You got to look after operations. You got to look after marketing. You are a salesperson first and foremost in everything you do in the world. And so I looked after the sales. Um, I, I'm a background in, uh, I've got a CPA. Uh, I did my uh, MBA at London Business School. And so I've had sort of a broad range of background. And so I think, I think it helped in just looking at things um, in, a, in a more business-oriented manner uh, when, when you know, Ballast Point came around. I had done some uh, financing work and sale and leaseback transactions. So the, the financing element and the and, and running companies I've done before, so this was, there was a lot of skills that I probably wouldn't say just in the hotel world, but just what I'd been, you know, had done since I'd moved west, um, they sort of translated. I mean, at the end of the day, Ballast Point is a business. 
you know, it, it brews beer. There are better brewers in Ballast Point all the way down to our R&D team than we could ever be. And so it's more or less making sure when we came into that, understanding that there are some really good things about Ballast Point that don't need to be changed. And there are some other things that with big opportunities come if you just sat back and looked at this in a different way. Harry, is that my cue or is your microphone just off? <laughs> Brendan, I'll, uh, I'll take it from there. We haven't spoken in a couple of years, so it's nice Bye. to see you again. Cheers. Love your yep. background. <laughs> yeah. So like you said, you know, how you're looking at Ballast Point differently, it's still a business at its core. It just so happens to be a business that brews beer. And when you guys took it on, I think it was like a 400,000 barrel brand, I believe, or somewhere around that. So my question is, if you can answer, what is it now and what is the new way forward, right? Is it more taproom oriented than distribution oriented? Are you, are you guys still national? What, what does that look like? So at, at the peak, at the peak, and, and if, if you step back and it's hard for people that, you know, when I started looking and, and Chris and I started digging into the, the financials and the background of Ballast Point when we were doing our diligence, there's Ballast Point's an interesting character. Right, because number one, it got all this publicity because they had the big B in front of the, the sale. Right. Um, but when you really peel back, okay, when they got to that 400,000 barrels, it really was sales, it wasn't depletions. So okay. it was really after the acquisition of Constellation and then putting into the entire gold network of Constellation's distribution network, they went from 70 odd distributors to 370. So there was some level of artificial, you know, uplift. Yeah, where people go, oh my God, look at the size of this thing. So it was on a, a, this sort of a trajectory, but it then went on this trajectory simply by the nature of it being part of Constellation. When we peeled it all back and looked at it, a lot of it didn't make sense, but from a financial standpoint, like Constellation, if you if you your public companies have different metrics that they like to, to look at, we eat margin like we like to we want to be a long-term sustainable profitable company and that means we're going to look at things not just on sales and when we started looking at it the the distribution network that was across the country and actually across you know 13 different countries as well there were some things that just didn't make sense so scope and brand all of our scope and brands that makes money for us right in in draft and in package but not in the bottles, right? So especially when freight went through the roof during the pandemic and we looked at our entire portfolio, we stepped back and we said, what's most important for us? And one of it was, we don't care that ballast is the biggest. What we care is that ballast sells where it makes sense and we can get fresh beer on shelves and not worry about crappy beer sitting somewhere in North Carolina. And, and so for us, it was contraction, settling down, and then going back out again, but doing it in a way that made more sense for us. So that artificially high, um, you know, the 400,000, I, I believe was artificial uh, because it really wasn't, it wasn't done the right way. And then the other uh, element to Ballast Point is we, we do over half of our business. So the top line, we do over half of our business in our tap rooms. Mm -hmm. So, and we're also a really big draft house. So come on the pandemic, both of those things get screwed. So no one's buying draft beer and all of our tap rooms shut down. So we, we use that time to go rebrand. So we've redone all the packaging. 
really set up and understand what we want to be from a taproom standpoint. And like it or not, Ballast Point's a restaurant company. So we have now, we're backing up our, our, another one in San Francisco. So it's ready to go when we get out of this, the winter and knock on wood, the bloody pandemic. But it's open, ready to open, ready to go. And so Ballast, you know, unlike a lot of other breweries, let's say, we have a real big restaurant business. Mm-hmm. And so we look at that, the, the, the package business, you know, helped us survive during the pandemic. And, and now we're starting to see draft come back again, but we're being very selective as to where draft goes. We want, we want Sculpin and we want some of our other brands on tap in the West Coast. And that's where our heart is. And that's where we make most money because again, freight is a killer. And if, if, uh, if we look at what's happened during the, the pandemic, costs, inflation's gone through the roof. And so we're just more thoughtful so we're nowhere near 400,000 barrels anymore, and we're happy about it. So if I'm hearing correctly, you guys have and are retrenching more to the West Coast, more toward an on-premise brand, and you are profitable. We are profitable. Yeah, knock on wood. Um, we are profitable as we, you know, with the tap rooms, when they open back up, the one thing about the tap rooms is that they throw off cash, and, and these are big tap rooms. And so that helps, you know, the, on the, the um, distribution side, on the, the wholesale, you know, our, our package business is, as long as it's Sculpin's, you know, flying out the door at $12.99 at retail for a six pack, we make, we make good margin there. We make good margin on the draft. When you've got Sculpin out there on draft, we make good margin. So coming back into here, we are, we're a profitable brand again. And so we're going to, think about exactly where we're going to grow. It's not to say we won't be over on the East Coast again. Sure. We fully plan to do so, but we're going to do it under our terms. We're, we're doing it thoughtfully. Right. So can I, let's follow up on the news from last week. I think it was last week uh, or maybe two weeks ago that you guys brought on the St. Archer facility, right? 100,000 barrel capacity, I believe, uh, from Wilson Coors. If I'm th- okay, so you're, Obviously, you've got that now, and I don't know how much other capacity you guys have, but you got a lot of capacity and oh, man. don't produce got, a whole <laughs> bunch. We've got a million barrel capacity, yeah, right, sitting here right now. So, what do we do? Go and buy right. more, right? Okay. It's like, you know, yeah, what is wrong with you, you moron? Um, I, I, I like this this plan. This is this sounds like uh, one of our business plans, right, Jen? You know, <laughs> if you build it, they will come, right? So there is a plan Buy first, there is a plan. <laughs> We'd um, love to hear it. It's, so there's, so we've got the monster um, brewery. We can do a million barrels uh, out of Miramar, and we're twenty percent, twenty five percent capacity, right? So we've got all this, but it's a beast. It's a monster, and so there's a couple of things. We've got older packaging lines in that facility. They do a really good job. We're out of bottles, so our bottling line is dismantled and gone. We're one hundred percent into cans and kegging. And so package, we've now got a 12 ounce and we've got our 16 ounce cans, but we want more options. And there's reasons for having more options. The the ballast point facility is a monster, um, but you can't do small batch stuff there. Hmm. You, it is, yeah, we've got 1500 barrel fermenters. (laughs) You've got to fill those buggers up when we're kings and convicts and some of our smaller batch stuff that ballast lost in the old Scripps facility we were looking at this and going, if we're going to do a true 
come back and start brewing some of the, the great beers that Ballast had done before that aren't part of the Sculpin family and do it profitably, we need a facility or we need a, um, a brewery that we can do 100 barrel batches instead of our big 300 barrel, you know, six turns a day filling up the monsters. And it just doesn't make sense. So then we started looking at this because on top of that, we have other contract opportunities. So we've had people knocking on our door to do contract brewing, contract seltzer, contract a lot of other products as well. And Miramar, Ballast Point Miramar is set up for massive doing that. But we've got a shitty old packaging line. So we walk around the corner to old St. Archer with a 40 barrel system and a U-Butte packaging line that can do sleeks, you know, the slims, the 12, 16s, 19.2s. We go, oh my God, look what they've got. And then we started sniffing around even more. They've got a five barrel um, uh, pilot, uh, autopilot system. They've then got the 40 barrel um, system that they use with 100 barrel, 120 barrel tanks all the way up to 400 barrel tank. And we go, you know what? We can do a lot of Kings and Convicts and smaller batch ballast stuff as well as we've got new brands coming out and new packaging that we will can, and it's, and it's literally around the bloody corner. We can walk there. We know some of the people that are at St. Archer that, that were there before. We go, okay, we know we're going to fill it up. It might, might not happen this year, but we're on that trajectory to fill this up with contract brewing. But what we wanted to do was get back to a little bit of grit and grind of the 40 barrel system so that some of Let's say Grunion comes out and we want to put it in 19s, the big fellas. We want to put it in 16s. It gives us much more flexibility and options to become a, how do I say this, a more diversified beverage company. Interesting. Would you ever acquire, are you thinking of acquiring anything as well to fill up some of that capacity or would it mostly be contracts so that you can be more flexible and it's probably profitable? I'm always looking. And <laughs> it's there, are, there, yes. So the answer is we, we're very open and, and looking and, and not just a beer. So we've been, we've been looking for a, we, we want to build, we've got a platform. We now have a platform. So what we want to do is be uh, open to you know, looking at other, other liquids that will, alcoholic liquids that will work to fill it up through acquisition, through partnerships, and, um, and, and just through contract. So we, we are looking at the moment. So, yes. It's kind of a good time. It's, uh, I would think to be, a, it's a buyer's market as far as iron. I'd say it's, yes, it is. But it's also when you've got, when it's a buyer's market, you also have to be you know, thoughtful. And we talk about this a lot that we just don't want to be somewhere where you, a collection. It's got to have a plan. It's got to, it's got to fit with Ballast Point and Kings and Convicts. It's got to, it's got to meet, yeah, we've got to, it, it, there's still a culture that is very important to us. What we don't want to be is culture change agents. We will acquire if it fits with us and that they're already working. I don't want to have to go in try to change a culture for some other company that's being built up uh, I'd rather contract brew for them, but once they're in the family, they've got to, they've got to fit with us. That's a, that's a great point. It's so hard to change culture and so many people miss that point. And it's, it could be a make or break really just for, you know, it's not, it's not just spreadsheets. It's there's people involved and that's an important aspect, right? 100%. I mean, and, and if I look at the St. Archer people that have come across, you know, 
when they found this out, they're you know, stunned and we had to go in and, and we had to talk to them and say, listen, we, they were offered jobs and if, if it fits for them, if it's right for them, um, then they're, they're coming across. But if it's not, we understand it completely. We, we have brought on the operations team that was brewing St. Archer and they've got to become kings and convicts now. Now, the interesting thing for them um, is that the kings and convicts, there's only a couple of us where there's 550 ballast pointians, but the kings and convicts, and part of it was, they said, well, what, what do you want this to be? So we're the San Diego kings and convicts now. Start making stuff up. That's what we did. So let's go. Um, Brendan, you've been, well, we saw Constellation sell ballast point. We've seen Molson Coors shutter one of its craft brewers. And you've been at the end of both of those transactions. So I feel like you have a good read on this. Um, do you think we'll see more big brewers trying to sell their craft purchases they made years ago? I, I do think, I, I, I think there are some that have worked um, and there are some that have not. And the question is focus. And if some of these larger companies they make big bets because that's what they do. And if they don't pan out, there is a timeline for where they're going to focus. There's only so many hours in a day and these management teams have to work out, do we try to make something work if it's not working or do we cut bait uh, you know, and, and, and go? And so I don't know. I do know that it's, I understand why. I understand completely why Constellation wanted to, to get out from under Ballast Point. And it's more about the time and the, the focus as opposed to, you know, these are multi-billion dollar companies and they have to make bets. They're paid to make bets and make it work. And sometimes things don't work out. The From, let's say, that 2010 all the way through to 2015, 16, when these big bets were made and now they're moving on, I wouldn't be surprised if another one I, I would not. It's just a question of how it would be done, whether it would be shut down like a St. Archer or a, a sale to someone else. There's got to be, there's, whoever is on the acquisition side better know what they're doing, better have a plan because the rehabilitation of a particular brand is tough work. And it's got to have something that, 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 that makes sense for, for someone, it's got to have a foundation or a platform like we believe that Ballast Point had. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't know if any of those are, are, are happening, but I would not be surprised just by the very nature of the public markets and large companies. I forget when my mic is on or off. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and because, you know, if it's not a multi-million dollar uh, accretive to, to their bottom line what's the point point? and like you say uh, if you if th th those people can can be uh, re-resourced to other brands that actually do have momentum and, instead of wasting all that talent on something that's never going to turn around and you know but the, the the question i had is you know when you took when you first took on ballast point the market was pretty messy if i remember correctly and one of the issues was that there had been some uh janky pricing going on uh just because there, there was too much inventory quite frankly uh, especially the further away you got from california um 
how did you deal with that, uh, with the image of the brand and, and some of the, you know, jankiness that was going on? Yeah, it's, we, when we looked at this, we looked long and hard that we needed, um, so they had to, you know, they had to look after all the stuff, the inventory that was out there. We had the clean cut. And it, so we had a changeover and it went for about a, we didn't brew for, I think, three weeks to four weeks. And then the, they were on the hook for pulling back and doing all the stuff with their distributors. We then turned on, we knew that to make this business work, we couldn't think outside of California. So that it had to be, bring this back and we will go out again. But if we don't go out again, can we still make it work? And it would not have been possible except for massive tap rooms that become our marketing engines as well as the, our, our path to, to new beers and to, to customers. And so we're still in that process. I mean, we had a bloody pandemic, which has screwed things up, but the, yeah. the plan's still the same, is that we have to re-engage. And so one of the things that we've done is be focused 100% in the early days here on San Diego. And then our next ring is LA. And then we go California. And if we can make that work and do it properly with the structure that we've got and how we acquired the company, we can be a profitable brand. It doesn't mean that Ballast Point's going to be doing this again. So for us, we need to step back and go, okay, all the jankiness, all the shit that went over uh, the rest of the country, if we never go back, can we make it work? And that was the question we had to ask ourselves and the way that we've structured the company to ensure that you know, we're sitting on a massive asset that is Miramar and it, Ballast Point will never fill that. So we should fill it because if we've got empty tanks, they're like airline seats. Every day that they're not full, then we're losing money. And so right. we do that, but not hinder who Ballast Point is. And Ballast Point never came about by being a monster brewery. It came from the Scripps Ranch, the home, the home brew mart. It came from grit and grind and pulling things together. And so as long as we can, can recover some of that, which we're doing, um, and make sure that if California's home, that's where we make money, then we can be a profitable company. We may never be the biggest again or, or right up there. And, and there's not a billion dollar valuation. But guess what? We've got a solid market. If I want to be sitting anywhere, I want to be sitting in California as a craft beer brand sitting down in San Diego so I can go fishing and golfing and, and drink some beers and, and look after a town that we think is great. Well, you, you, don't, you don't want to go back to Chicago? and, and... Not, not, not for two to three, three, three months. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, who do you, and I know we're getting long here, but um, who do you consider your main competition in California? Would that be like a, a 805 or something I, like that? Yeah, I think so. I think that the Firestone Walker does a great job. Um, and, and from an IPA uh, house, I think we're still, our West Coast IPA, that's where Ballast Point really came from. And so our Sculpin family of, uh, of beers, I think, I think you've got to look at Stone. Um, I think for the, for the IPAs, I think you've got for our, our um, we've got a couple of blonde ales and we've got uh, some good lagers in Longfin and then Firestone Walker, uh, we're, we're against. And of course, Sierra Nevada here in California, mm. you know, Sierra Nevada Pale and the hazy little thing. Um, our, we're not a, we've, we've got some hazies, but they never really you know, blew up like Sculpin. 
And mm-hmm. so there's part of this that you've got to, you've got to remember who you are and what, who brought you to the dance. And so not, not forget, you know, the, the, uh, the golden goose force. Right. Right. That's great. Well, uh, gosh, thank you, Brandon. This is, uh, I'm so glad to finally meet you. Uh, you're, 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 you've become a quiet legend in the industry, uh, that because, uh, there's no history on you. It's like you came out of, uh, one of those, uh, protective, uh, Witness God, protection is, programs. We, we, yeah, I, I don't know what's wrong with my brain today. We, we're starting our conference uh, next week, and I think I'm just distracted. I apologize. But <laughs> anyway, we'll cut that in post. But uh, anyway, thank you, Brendan, for, for being on, and uh, the best of luck to you. And I think, uh, I think it's exciting. I, I'm glad to see that you guys are having uh, success, and hopefully this pandemic is in the rearview mirror, and we can get some great draft beer out there. And, and we're coming to San Diego uh, next week. So, uh, uh, look forward to, uh, to hanging out in the market down there and I'll be sure and grab a sculpin. Um, so thanks for drinking beer. Thanks for making it and, uh, look forward to seeing you down the road, man. Good stuff. Appreciate it. Take care. Brendan, Brendan, I gotta, I got a brand to pitch you when we get out there. It's called hard bubbles. Oh, brother. (laughs) Don't listen to her. Just because he has a million barrels of capacity doesn't mean he, mean he wants to make shit. That's a lot of hard bubbles. That's a lot of hard bubbles. It's an inside uh, joke. You know, yeah, it's a well, mock-up we did of Harry's butt basically on a hard seltzer can. So <laughs> It's not that inside joke. Everybody on the podcast is, it, well, all, you know, I always say all six people who listen to it have been in on it since the beginning. But they're the right uh, people. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, have a good weekend. Take care. Cheers.